What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on grace every day. We saw last week the starting place for grace. The natural world around us was created to bless us, and it's important that we protect it and and keep it nearby to experience and enjoy it. But perhaps more important than all that was the idea that grace comes to us when we are patient. Even when things don't go our way, the world can be a blessing. Yes, but if it's not right now, if the world is moving away from your ideal, be patient. Let God be at work and receive what the world has to offer, even if it's not what you would choose for yourself. That's an important lesson and a great place to start in our series on grace. And now we take another step in the journey, looking a little further into the story of the scriptures. After the creation and the flood, Abraham is chosen to be the father of a great nation, one that would one, uh, one day be known as Israel. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. And if you remember the story, he is taken hostage to Egypt. About hundreds of years later, his descendants number in the thousands, and they are being led by Moses back to the promised land, the land of Israel. Let's hear our scripture from Eric, which is about God's presence with Israel as they journey to this promised land. The people have their tents set up, and the tabernacle, the temporary building where God's presence is, is, is outside of their camp. This is Exodus 33, 7 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend, and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them, at the entrance of their tents. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now I will have found favor in your sight. Show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us from here. For how shall, I, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of this earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And from 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, For it is, the, it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars 
so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we want your glory. We want to experience your presence. Open our hearts and minds that we would experience you here and now in this place. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in elementary school, I remember vividly my art teacher. I remember how he would walk around class with a yardstick in his hand. The rumor was that the taped portion of the yardstick was because he broke it one day when he hit a student with it. He was no free-spirited artist. He was exacting and demanding of his students. One day we had a very specific art project we had to do. We were asked to bring something from home to sketch and enlarge. I was into comic books at the time and picked the 30th anniversary edition of Iron Man. After enlarging it, I got out a special gold pen that made the whole thing really pop, and in the end it was pretty good. I was proud of my enlarged creation. I think even my art teacher liked it because a few weeks later I found out that my drawing had been selected to be displayed in the Buffalo Museum of Art. I could not believe it. We had a special invitation to come see it along with other works from students in the area. When we went there, there were so many people there. The crowds were lined up just to see my Iron Man poster. It was amazing. As we filed through, it was a struggle to find my poster, but eventually we did see it. Uh, I was surprised at how quickly people were walking past it, but in the moment, I was very proud. I felt like even though I'm not a great artist, I did something right, and I felt special. I especially love that my whole family came down to see it. On the way home, though, my parents started talking about the time when both of my older brothers had their artwork in the museum. It made me very suspicious, like suddenly I wasn't so special anymore. I thought to myself, what, do they just let anyone put their artwork in the museum? And I imagine you've had a moment something like that in your own life, a time where you went from feeling special to suddenly not so special. I coach a boys' soccer team, and one of the players hurt a fellow teammate last week, and he went from feeling like he was the king of the team to a pariah. And sometimes it happens just that fast, from special to worthless. It can be so quick and so discouraging. You are well-liked at work, and something happens, and people won't even talk to you anymore. Or a family is gathered, and they act like you don't even exist. For some, going through that might mean you are having the worst day of your life. It's like a wedding I heard about once where the bridal party arrived early, and the seamstress was supposed to bring the wedding dresses. As the time for the wedding approached, they noticed the dresses hadn't arrived yet, so they called the seamstress no answer. They called again and again, no answer. Finally, with the wedding about to start, the little flower girl notices the choir robes, and the bride decides, sure, why not? And all the bridesmaids process down the aisle in choir robes. The wedding day is supposed to be perfect, but something like that happens, and suddenly it becomes anything but... This wedding story isn't too far off from what happens to the nation of Israel. They are the chosen people of God, but they've done something that has suddenly made them feel 
not so special anymore. After Israel was led out of slavery in Egypt, they are wandering the desert, not finding this promised land of milk and honey. Instead, they have stopped at a mountain, and Moses, who was who's been leading them from the start, goes up to the top of the mountain. There's thunder and lightning and swirling clouds, and he's given people specific instructions not to come up the mountain. He goes to receive the Ten Commandments, and it takes 40 days. He's been up on the mountain so long, people start thinking he might be dead. They actually turn to Aaron, Moses' brother, to lead them, And the first thing they demand of their new leader is to have a God to follow. Moses had one God, so now Aaron has to have one too, right? So they give Aaron their gold, and he makes a golden calf with it. It's a whole thing, and now in Exodus 33, God says to Moses, Look, you go and make this journey to the promised land on your own. I'll send an angel, but I'm not sending my presence. If I did you would be dead. The words from verse 5 are, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. That's what happens in idolatry. God's righteousness is too much for us. Israel has gone from the chosen of God to rejected, from special to worthless in the blink of an eye. How could that be? Sure, they did something wrong. Yes, they rejected God by making a false idol, but shouldn't God just let it go and forgive them? Why should they lose their status as the beloved of God? Why would God be so quick to give up on them? So here's Moses in verse 12. He's gone to the tent of meeting where Moses speaks face to face with God. In another part, it says that Moses' face glows whenever he speaks with God. That's how close he is with him. I love, too, this little note about how everyone would stand at the entrance of their tents when Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. It's almost like a bride processing down the aisle, right? They knew something special was going to happen every time that Moses goes into the tent of meeting. So there's Moses talking face-to-face with God, and it sounds like he's complaining. He's telling God, look, you made me go get these people from Egypt, and I did it. Now you're just going to abandon us? His specific complaint is that God has not let Moses know whom you will send with me. Eventually, Moses convinces God that because Israel is special, God should accompany them himself. And he says, now, if I have found favor, if you were here last week, you heard that the word for favor is the same one as grace, and grace means anything that we are drawn to. If I have found grace... If God really is drawn to me, Moses says, then why would God stop helping these people? I have found favor with God, so God should help Israel. It's rather stunning on its surface, isn't it? A God, a human being so bold that they would tell God what to do. A human willing to say, God, you will, you like me, so you have to help these people. How wild. And in the end, God agrees. God says, I will do this thing you ask for because you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And there it is. The two things that matter to God. That God is drawn to you and that God knows you by name. 
the first, God being drawn to us, might feel impossible to us. How do we make that happen? Isn't that just chance or getting God's grace means we are born to the right family or we act the right way? And too many of us have found that we can't earn God's grace. It's impossible for us. We simply can't do it. We will fail. We will fall short. We will eventually chase something else, gathering our gold to worship some idol, whether it's money or possessions or even something more mundane like a way of doing things, or even our families can be an idol to us. Anything we put ahead of God is idolatry. Throughout the scriptures, that's one of the main problems. Israel wants to be special to God, but they mess up prioritizing something else, and they lose hope. But God does eventually forgive them and restore them. That's what happens through Jesus. Jesus shows us that God's grace wasn't just for the chosen nation of Israel or just for them when they were being good. God's grace was available to everyone. God never meant for just Israel to be special but that from the very beginning with Abraham, it was for everyone. Back in Genesis, it says, And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It wasn't just meant for a few. God planned this blessing to be for everyone, for all people. Grace is for all. You just have to say yes to it. Then there's a second part of what God says to Moses, and I know you by name. In ancient times, to say you know someone's name was a big deal. It signaled identity and connection. It potentially points out where you're from, to whom we belong, and what we value. There are a couple of beautiful verses from Isaiah that show this. Here they are. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And another, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. There's this incredible connection, this intimacy between God and Moses, and it leads to Israel getting bailed out when they have done an awful thing. In a similar way, Our relationship with God, when we are people of grace, can rescue others. First, we've got to develop that face-to-face relationship with God. I love that Moses went to the tent of meeting and Joshua came with him. Everyone else just stood outside their tents. They were awed by Moses going in, but Joshua followed him in. Are you ready for that step? Are you ready to not just talk about God, to think about God in your head, but to know God face to face? Some folks are too scared to do that. But God planned for the beginning, from the beginning for his favor, his grace, to be available to all. Do you want to meet with God face to face? If you do, let's be like Moses and Joshua. Let's spend time in a place where we meet God. I think for a lot of us, we think of church, and that's a good thing. Many people have their first tentative steps toward a face-to-face relationship with God through the church. So come here. Be here regularly. Connect with God. But know that there is so much more out there. Grace every day means 
We can experience it through nature and through the church, yes, but also through our friends and family, through singing and volunteering, or even through a book. When we take time to encounter God, we are growing in grace. Every day we can have an opportunity to connect with God more and more and have that face-to-face intimacy with God. You can choose to grow in that relationship with God, or you can choose to ignore it. But when you grow in grace, God is drawn to you. doesn't mean you get everything you want, but you'll have an intimacy with God that changes how you see and experience everything around you. It might even mean you advocate for God to rescue someone that everybody else has written off. Whoever it is, they aren't too far gone. God is at work, and he wants you to help draw them back. Let's end with this. Larry Cook is the pastor of the Real Believers Faith Center. About a year ago, he confronted some young men selling drugs in the alley between his church and the store on the corner. The store seemed to do more illegal business than the legitimate kind of snacks and fuel. When he confronted the young men, things got heated pretty quickly. Voices were raised. The owner doesn't care about it, one of the young men yelled at Pastor Cook. If you want to do something about it, you need to buy the gas station. I will, Cook responded. I absolutely will. What the man selling drugs didn't know is that Cook had actually been thinking about buying the store for the past 25 years. He believed that was exactly how he needed to help his neighborhood. He believed God would help him transform that sore spot in the neighborhood, and that meant he needed to buy the store at the corner of a busy intersection. The area has struggled with all the changes in the neighborhood. Then an interstate was built right through the middle of it, which caused even more problems. Today, the area is filled with instability and poverty. In the fall, though, the store came up for sale, and Cook and his wife put everything they had toward the purchase of the $3 million property. They've now reopened it under the name The Lion's Den, a testament to their faith that even the most difficult people and difficult places can be redeemed by a God full of grace for his people. Sharon Cook said, this is what Jesus would do. If he was walking around here, he would buy this gas station. He would feed the hungry. He would help the elderly just like we are doing. And what a beautiful testament to what a deep faith in God can lead you to do in your community. A $3 million property probably feels like a big risk to a lot of us, yet that's what knowing God intimately can lead to. God is here. He's waiting for you to meet with him face to face so that you may know his favor, his grace that is available to even more people when we meet with him. Live for him, even if you don't feel special, even if you fall short, because his grace flows through you. When you live face to face with God, he knows your name, and it creates an opportunity for the whole world to know God's grace. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.